Today's scripture is taken from Isaiah 65:17-25. This is coming from the Common English Bible. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating because I'm creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. No more will babies live only a few days or the old fail to live out their days. The one who dies at 100 will be like a young person. The one falling short of 100 will seem cursed. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. They won't labor in vain nor bear children to a world of horrors because they will be people blessed by the Lord. They, along with their descendants, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Wolf and lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy at any place on my holy mountain, says the Lord. Our text today, as Nancy read to us, is from Isaiah, and we're going to be spending a little bit of time off and on in Isaiah, especially as we go into Advent. Uh, Isaiah is just such a great text to look at when you start thinking about Advent. I want to give you a little... A a little bit of history about this text because I think it's really important for understanding a lot of things. Uh, one is what God is up to, what God is doing. Another way is to think about how the Old Testament and the Old and the New Testament work together. Wendell Willis writes that the text for today concerns the Jews in Palestine after they returned from Babylon after they returned home. So they've gone, gone through those wars with Assyria and Babylon and they've spent those years, all those years in Babylonian captivity and now they've, they've come home to a city that is wrecked. Like, pick a city in Ukraine and think about that. And you have a picture of Jerusalem at this particular time. For a bit of perspective, uh, the book of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Trito Isaiah, which is where our text came from today, I'll explain that in a while, Haggai and Zechariah all have something to say about this period of time that we're talking about. So it's kind of amazing when you start looking at how much attention is given to it. For a bit of perspective, Nehemiah was, uh, was uh, in Persia. Nehemiah had a, had a home and a, a job and life was good. And he and the, 
the king start talking and, and Nehemiah says, I really need to go home. Because he knew, he knew from messages that he was getting from Jerusalem what a mess Jerusalem was in. And, and so he's given a grub stake and he goes to Jerusalem and with the purpose that he's going to help them get organized to rebuild Jerusalem. And this is what he says. After dark, this is shortly after his arrival in Jerusalem. After dark, I went through the valley gate to inspect the broken wall and the burned gates. This is leftovers from Babylon, and they've not been taken care of. My donkey couldn't get through the rubble. What trouble we are in, exclamation point. Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So can you, you can just feel the weight on Nehemiah as he recognizes what, what a task that he's got ahead of him. And there's reasons for this. It's more than just the physical state of Jerusalem. But uh, Isaiah talks about this. Uh, Isaiah says there... No one asked for help from God. It never occurred to anybody to say, God, we need your help. The problems that they had with Assyria and with Babylon would have never happened if they had had the state of mind to say, God, we need your help. They relied on their own plans and devices. They said, basically, hey, we can handle this. They insulted God by their idolatry. Um, I, of course, I'm contemporizing this, but I, I like to think of it as the Jews had on their mantle above the fireplace all the little gods that they worshipped. They had a name for all of them. And they were intentional about the part of their lives that they gave to these gods. They deified the good instruction, pardon me, they defied the good instruction that they received and they worshiped the dead, ate things considered un, unclean. It's a city that's wrecked spiritually. They were puffed up and Arrogant, no one could teach them, no one could tell them anything that would have saved their lives. And of course, they worship false gods. That's what Isaiah says. Now, I want to point out that this occurs in a part of, era of Isaiah that is specifically about this period of time. So Isaiah is commenting about the state of his, his people. Well, why are you telling us all this? Why, are we, why is history so important to us? Well, I think that it's important because it enriches your understanding of what you're reading. It enriches it. It makes it robust and deep to understand that really not much has changed between then and now. That's where we're going to finish up the sermon today. How much has changed? There are disagreements about who wrote 
this part of Isaiah. Uh, th- if you're a Bible study nerd, you enjoy stuff like this, so bear with me. There's three theories about Isaiah. The first is the most conservative. It's the fundamentalist point of view, and it says that Isaiah wrote the whole thing, all 66 chapters. I don't happen to believe that. There's another view that says, well, actually, there's two Isaiahs. There's first Isaiah, and there's Deutero, or second Isaiah. And uh, Deutero, Isaiah, begins in chapter 40 and goes through the end, chapter 66. So that, that's the second point of view, is that there's, there's uh, and obviously more, more liberal and more progressive than this first view, this view admits that there's really a change in the subject matter and in the voice of Isaiah, and so there has to be a second Isaiah. The third is called Trito, T-R-I-T-O. It's where we get Trinity and Trio and words like that, and it means third Isaiah. First Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, and Trito-Isaiah. And Trito Isaiah starts at 56 and goes to 66. So if you're counting, first Isaiah is 1 through 39, second Isaiah is 40 through 55, third Isaiah is 56 through 66. Trito Isaiah is about what we're talking about this morning, seems to be addressed to the uh, returnees from Babylonian captivity. That seems to be the audience. I've already talked about the other books of of the Old Testament that also give attention to this time. So it's obviously pretty important to to the Jewish people. Why would so much of the Old Testament be given to this one period of time? Ezra and Nehemiah both chronicle this return to their their city, to Jerusalem. They chronicle their deep disturbance about the condition of the city. Uh, Little things like bringing out the people and reading to them the law from the Bible become very, very important Things because what they've got to do is they've got to reorient the identity of the people. Who do they love? Who do they worship? Who do they live their lives by? Now, I think uh, chapter 66, verse 1 is a really important text. Uh, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are, are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. God's trying to speak to them and and give them 
some sense of, of his priority, his brightness, his involvement in their lives. Well, one of the, one of the failures of, of some today is to ignore the audience that this is written for. Now, if you're a fundamentalist, if you're, a, if you're of that camp, you're going to say, well, I, Isaiah's one book, there isn't a Deutero and a Trito, it's all one book, one author. And there's, there's some places in Isaiah where he's really not talking about Isaiah's time, he's really talking about Jesus. And there's several of those passages in here. But actually, it can be both things. And I think some of the things, and we're going to talk about that right now, uh, Isaiah's telling his people about what's about to happen. He calls it new heavens and new earth. Traditional point of view is that God's going to blow up the earth in the in the end of time, and He's going to recreate something entirely new. But there's a lot of us who think, no, it's not what's going to happen. This earth is going to be redeemed in some way. Well, Isaiah uses the same language to talk to his people, and so what on earth is he, is he talking about? If it's a message for their ears, if it's something that he wanted them to have, then it must be contemporary in its point of view. But we know that right after Isaiah, after this prophecy, there wasn't a new heavens and a new earth. Not, not in that sense, not in that literal sense. So what is God talking about? Well, God is talking about a change that is so great it can only be described in these sorts of magnificent terms. What I'm going to do among you is going to be like a new heaven and a new earth. You're just not going to believe it. God has said similar things in the Bible. Sort of a, you wouldn't believe it if I told you what's about to happen. So Isaiah lays this out. He says, you're going to forget your former troubles. When this thing that God is doing in you starts to happen, you're going to be so consumed by that, by the beauty of it, the awesomeness of it, that you're going to forget everything that you've ever worried about. Verse 18 and 19, he says the city of Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. That's one of the things that Ezra and Nehemiah set, to, set about doing, is they organized the people to rebuild the walls first. Because they had all these enemies around them that wanted, didn't want to see them succeed, so they needed to rebuild the walls. And they had to rebuild the temple because it was in ruins. Experiencing long life. That's the part where uh, Nancy read to us that, you know, if somebody lives less than 100 years, you're going to weep and cry and go, what's wrong? What happened? This is not normal. 
verse 21 and 23 through 23, he says, you're going to enjoy the fruits of your labors. It's not just going to be drudgery, but you're going to actually enjoy what you do. Verse 24, you're going to receive God's response to your pleas. When you talk to God, he's going to answer you rather than ignore you like he has in the past because of your rebellion. And you're going to live in peace. That's, that's new heavens and new earth, isn't it? When you think about that. You think about, uh, if you want to put it in contemporary terms, think about the Ukrainians. I don't know if you watch the news, but Kherson has been liberated. That's just so exciting. So they're, they're taking back more of their land. And the people of the city have come out of their houses and they're in the courtyard and they're cheering and they're raising Ukrainian flags. And they're going, our redeemers are here. They have, they have come and they've rescued us. That's the picture of Isaiah. Not to say that this text doesn't also provide us something. There's something in here for us as well. You look in Revelation 21, one of the promises that God makes in Revelation 21 is new heavens and new earth. And it's the same kind of thing that Isaiah is promising his people. So, Isaiah 65 has the key, I think, to understanding how Judah ended up in Babylon. 65.1 says, the Lord says, I was ready to respond. I was ready to respond. But no one asked for help. I was ready. I was there. I was perched, just ready to come into your life and save you. But no one asked for help. Never occurred to any of you that maybe I was the one you ought to be talking to. Rather than Pekah and Reason and in, uh, in Israel and Syria or the rule, I can't remember his name, in in. Uh, Assyria. That's who they were listening to. That's, that's who they said, can we trust you to help us out of this mess? Never occurred to them to talk to God about that. I was ready to be found. When I read the newspaper today, I, I, see, I see the same stuff going on. We've forgotten God. I think this is a good description for the 21st century church. No one's looking. Looking for God is not something that happens accidentally, you see. We have to be in the mind to do that. Given to doing that. It's a posture, a way of organizing one's life. It's a, it's a priority. It's really just like 
not taking care of the temple. Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, same thing, same message. Look at God's house, laying in ruins in Jerusalem, and you hadn't done anything about it. And God says to us today, what about my kingdom? What about my kingdom? Are you thinking about that? Are you orienting your life toward that? What Judah was doing before Babylon swooped in and the first few years of their return is not so different from our own times. Having the, a carved idol on the mantle is no different than putting trust in the newest model of phone or car or shopping spree or whatever it is that makes you feel good. You understand what I'm saying? We don't, we don't carve them and put them on the mantle, but they come in other forms. They come on wheels. They come on a coat hanger. They come something that I carry in my pocket that I put my trust in. I think uh, one of the things that just really tweaks me is people say things like, the universe taught, told me to do this, or the universe gave me this or that, and it, I, I want to go, is it so hard to talk about God? Is it so hard? How is that any different than Israel in the days of Babylon? So a couple of questions that I, I think this, uh, I, I hope that this is, has prompted some curiosity in you. Go back and read Isaiah 65 and 66. What do you think the new heavens and new earth that God promised us will look like? What do you think it will look like? How will it be different? Don't happen to believe that we're going to be sitting on clouds playing harps. I just don't believe it. That's the most unimaginative thought about what God will be doing for us in the end. Can't really get excited about sitting on a cloud playing harp. Just can't, can't do it. Sorry. but I can get excited about a world in which I'm not afraid of my neighbor, where my dog won't die in 12 or 14 years, that my best friend remains best friend forever, where countries don't lob grenades and mortars and missiles at each other. That's pretty exciting. Where global warming's not a threat. What do, you, what do you think the new heavens and the new earth will look like? Are you seeking to align your life with that vision? 
And what would that look like if we did that? I mean, if we got in behind it and, and we pushed with all our might and said, boy, I'm, I'm all for that, what would that look like? What do you think, finally, God is saying to us that is similar to what he was saying to, to them through Isaiah? Let's pray. Oh God, help us to take you seriously. Help us to, to not fall for the same terrible mistake that Israel did. Although you are here and ready to hear from us, ready to help, we don't think to ask you. Please help us to seek you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.